Would you please join me as I pray? Our Father, thank you. Thank you for taking such good care of us. As a community, as individuals, you have been faithful. You have tended to us. Our very physical presence in this room today is evidence of that, but, but so much more throughout time, throughout each of our stories, you have been a God that's been faithful. And in some of those ways, we see it and we say thank you. So many, so many ways we miss it. We don't even know to say thank you for all the ways that you're sustaining and blessing and encouraging and loving us. So we just pause and recognize you are so good. We're thankful. We thank you for these moments with your word opened before us. Would you please, by your spirit, apply these words to our hearts and lives in such a way that we all experience an expanding capacity to worship. That we would be worshipers who have had our mouths loosed, who have had songs erupt because we are living into our identity more fully as worshipers of the King. Would you come and accomplish that even in these moments set aside? We thank you for it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We've just been engaged in a powerful, formative, crucial activity in the life of the church and life of Christians. Gathering together and singing some songs. The sort of thing that you don't do with a lot of your friends. It's not the sort of thing you do with regularity. You just get together and sing out. But when the church gathers, we do it, and we do it with regularity, and, and it's actually crucial to who we are and how we live into our identity more fully. And starting today and stretching through the fall, we're working through a sermon series that we're calling Sing, exploring the power and the importance of worship for the Christian throughout the Bible. And this morning, as we set out on this journey together, I think it's important to note that the activity itself, even with our faith set aside for a moment, is a powerful and important activity. There's actually been a lot of research done recently about the power of joining your voice in song with others. Uh, the Washington Post had an article in June of this year about the impact of singing and singing with those that are around you. It reduces anxiety. It can actually help with postpartum depression. It, it creates greater joy and cohesion with the community around you. For aging people, it actually will restore and strengthen memory that singing is actually really good for human beings. And we shouldn't be surprised by that because God throughout the scriptures and throughout history has said, it's actually really crucial for us. We're commanded to sing and to clap and to dance and to be worshipers. It happens throughout the Bible. And right in the middle of your Bible is this extended songbook inspired by the Holy Spirit because the expectation is that the people of God are a worshiping people, a singing people. And so we're launching out on this journey together to recognize that we of all people, as those that have tasted and received the grace of God, ought to be the sorts of people that are comfortable with wider range of expression, which incidentally does not come naturally to me, um, just by way of autobiography, right? Like, I'm colorblind, I am tone deaf, I 
cannot carry a tune. Um, I, I am actually, I feel like God's hardwired me to miss most of the beauty in the world. <laughs> I run in a very narrow, like in and of my own design and the way that he's made me, I run in a pretty narrow stream. Yet, as I engage the scriptures, what I realize is that he's actually called me to experience more, to express myself in ways that don't come naturally to me. That I'm, I miss out on so much of the beauty and the color and, the, and the, the realities of the world, things that have made my wife over the years, she's so sad. She's like, everything that I th think is beautiful in the world, you don't experience. I'm like, yeah, I'm sure it's lovely. Um, so if you're like me, and maybe some of the more expressive more kind of the bent towards beauty and emotion and experience doesn't come naturally. It doesn't have to for this to be true of us and for this to be an invitation for us. Wherever we are, however we experience the world and however naturally we express ourselves musically or in different ways, there is an invitation as the people of God who are receiving the grace of God to be a people who respond in expressive ways that are wider and deeper and different than maybe what comes naturally to us. We are called to be a singing people. The risk we run as a community, just knowing our makeup, we're a pretty well-educated crew. Speaking broadly, a pretty driven crew. Folks that are focused on achieving things. And the truth is that if we don't explore the depth and the beauty and the width and the expression of what it means to be a worshiping family, we will miss huge swaths of what it means to rightly relate to God because he is not first and foremost a, a subject or a topic that we manage and we master and that we pursue intellectually only. We are actually called to be caught up in a holistic experience with him. And part of that is developed, cultivated, and experienced as a singing people. And so we're gonna go on this journey together with this series that we're calling Sing. And the banner statement that's going to kind of set the pace for us is the verse that we just had read from Colossians 3 and verse 16. We are going to deeply explore one verse of scripture today in hopes that it kind of sets the stage for this journey for us over the coming weeks. But because we, we take scripture really seriously, we wanna treat it in context. Before I just plunge into one verse, let me paint a little bit of context for you so that we know we're not just plucking one verse out of something, but seeing how it fits in the whole of what Paul is doing in, in Colossians. And then we're gonna sink deeply down into the Colossians 3 verse 16 to set the stage for this journey of being a singing people. You with me? You good? Colossians, it's a unique epistle in the scope of the New Testament because it is the only of its kind in that Paul has never been there. He didn't plant this church and he doesn't personally know these people, but the person who planted the church was converted as part of Paul's ministry and as an extension of Paul's ministry went and planted a church in their city. So it doesn't have the same deep relational connection that some of the other epistles have. But Paul is writing from a distance and ensuring that this new community of faith is deeply rooted in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So in the first couple of chapters, he's painting this really cosmic, grand, glorious picture of Jesus, saying that he's bigger than the stars, he holds everything together, he is stunning. And in chapter three, he begins to turn the corner, helping us understand how those implications work out in our lives particularly. Jesus is grand and you need to be rooted in him, so here's your identity. 
And if we were to study the larger section in chapter three, what we would see is that the picture of the people of God, he says, who are the people that receive this glorious Jesus? They're a unified people. There are people marked by love and connection that are saturated in gratitude and in God's word, working out their existence in the name of Jesus. A unified whole family that's walking in the name of Jesus, that's who they are. And in verse 16, right in that context is this idea of being word saturated. It's gonna say, let the word of God dwell richly in you. This verse 16 is going to help us understand how we're stepping into our identity by welcoming God's word deeply into us. And there's three ways that verse 16 is going to tell us this happens. We're going to focus the the bulk of our attention on the third way. But let me just tell you those three, and then we're going to sink down into the third. Three ways you welcome God's word into your life to dwell with you richly. You teach and admonish one another. Those are the first two, teach and admonish. This is what happens in house church. We have the word of God open and we speak it to one another. And where our lives are out of alignment with the word, we are to gently say, I don't think what's happening there lines up with God's word. And as we teach and admonish with all wisdom, his word is being welcomed into our lives. The curveball, the unexpected twist that I believe our family needs to meditate on as a church together, needs to sink down into is the third one. Teach and admonish singing, singing in all of these ways. What this text is going to tell us is unexpected and is crucial for us as a family. One of the ways that the word of God comes to dwell in your life and your heart richly is from being a singing person, from singing out. So what I want to explore is how that works in this chapter. What does it mean for us to welcome the word of God to dwell richly in our midst, and how does singing participate in that? Now, my wife is like a queen of hospitality, and her sister Whitney is likewise. And they love to be with one another. They welcome each other into each other's homes. Her her sister lives in Kansas City. We go stay with them, and then they come stay with us. And Ashley and her sister, it's like this dueling hospitality battle. Who can love and welcome the other more fully? So when Whitney's coming to our house, what I know is the house is going to smell lovely. It's going to look amazing. And in the room where Whitney's going to stay, there's going to be a basket with like lovely gifts that have been selected, her favorite bottle of water, maybe a few notes to be opened while, during the time while she's here. Everything has been considered in such a way that Whitney is welcomed in. And then when we go visit, Whitney does the same thing for Ashley because they adore one another. They think about one another. They know what the other is going to love as they're welcomed in. They're very committed to it. What this text says is let the word of God dwell in you richly. It means welcome with hospitality like a VIP. Welcome the word of God in like like Ashley welcomes her sister. I've considered you and I'm welcoming you not just to dwell with me, but to dwell richly and abundantly. I want you in my house. It's a very different experience than the way I used to welcome people as a college student. Um, I went to TCU for my undergrad, and there, there's, a, there's a guy, many of you know, he's part of this community named Evan Swan. Uh, Evans was a senior in high school while I was living at TCU. He was trying to decide where to go to college, so he came to spend the weekend with me. I lived in a house with six other men. There were, there were actually two rooms in our house that had been condemned by the city. 
the city actually said, you can't go in these rooms of your house, just to give you an idea of where I was living. And, um, and Evans came to stay. I gave no forethought to the fact that this high school young man was going to be staying in my house. I, I did think, hey, you can have my bed. I'm going to sleep on the couch. I've, I was like being very magnanimous. But the struggle is at 19, I hadn't really learned how to do my laundry that well yet. I don't know that I had washed my sheets since I moved in. I know. Did we just get too close? <laughs> too personal. Things have changed over 18 years of living with this lovely lady. But at the time, I just didn't know. And I realized that Evans came in and I'm showing him the house. I'm like, you can have my bed, man. I'll just sleep on the couch. And he was kind of like, uh, couch is fine, you know? Uh, Evans went to UT, by the way. Um, <laughs> whatever happened that weekend, it did not convince him to be a horned frog. You see, I think as, as we begin to consider this, hmm, the invitation is to have the word of God welcomed into your life with warmth and preparedness in such a way that you say, I want you to fill me up. I want you to be in my home. And the struggle is I think many of us, if we're honest, are welcoming the word of God like I used to welcome people. Like, it ends up sleeping on the couch with a spring in its back, very uncomfortable because I haven't considered what it looks like to prepare and to welcome it into the whole of my life. What this text is going to say is that one of the key ways that we hospitably invite the power and the presence of God's living and active word into our lives is how we worship. It's how we sing. It's one of the ways that we leave the gift basket out and say, we've been expecting you. We want you in us in fresh and full ways. And so what I want to do is explore the very words of Colossians 3.16 in hopes that we would understand how to set the stage for the word of God. The first thing is that we sing so that the word of God can settle in. Did you see the word, it, it literally in verse 16, when it says singing, this means an outward loud expression. It is literally what it, you would expect in the fact that it's like an explosion of sound, of sound, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This is not primarily an intellectual pursuit. It's not about mastering a subject. It's actually more like romance. It's like family. It's like holistic heart engagement. Um, many of you know, I see him hiding on the up, up top, Jason and Nina. Jason Joy is way up top. Jason helps with our, our worship team. He does a beautiful job. He loves all things beauty. He and I have laughed about how different our makeup is and our background. Like he sees all of the beauty. He hears it. He can create it. He cultivates it. And uh, I, my wife and I got to walk closely with he and Nina as they were preparing for marriage. And I remember hearing their story of how they came to know and love one another. Um, Jason actually met Nina at a coffee shop. He was there to play some music. And, uh, and she was there reading Tolkien. So she had Tolkien out and he was like, she's got Tolkien. She's got a tattoo. She's very intriguing. Uh, Jason was pretty smitten and kind of had her eye on, uh, had his eye on her while, she, while he's playing his music and they start talking and getting to know one another. And, and over time they started to fall for one another. And as they were, their lives were kind of drawing near to one another, Jason and I were in a huddle together. So we were in discipleship rhythms. He and a group of men, we were, we were processing things together. And I remember him coming in at one point and saying, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm getting close to asking Nina to marry me. And, uh, and he said, in fact, 
I wrote a song for her. And he was kind of sheepish. If you know Jason, he's very understated, so humble. He was like, I'm not a songwriter. You know, I'm, I'm kind of nervous about it. I really don't write songs. And we were like, you got to play it for us now. Play it. And he plays this song and this group of men in the room, like our lips are quivering, tear in our eye. We're like, like, bro, never say again that you're not a songwriter. It's beautiful. And what was so beautiful about it is he had studied this woman for a very long time. He knew that the reason she had given herself to Tolkien and so many other works, including kind of fantasy books, is life had not necessarily been easy. She endured a lot of hard things, and the books were her hiding place. It's actually the way that she maintained some safety in the world. And so he wrote a song about we're writing a new story together. We're going to turn the page, and we're going to write this story together, and the song is called All This Love Will Hold. It's not going anywhere. It's going to shape the story that we're writing. We were listening to it, knowing her story, knowing his story, going this. It's beautiful, right? Now, when he played that song for her, you know what she said? I want to be your wife. (laughs) I want to marry you. They got married, and they're experiencing marital bliss together. Now, I want you to expect, uh, think of on the day that he was going to ask her to marry him, that he sat down across from her, and he just started stating facts to her. We've known each other for 708 days. And you have brown hair. And it's about this long. She's not swooning in the same way, right? It's not the same experience, the statement of facts. There is a moment when we're talking romance and relationship and family and our whole being, there's a moment where we need melody. And we need, we need lyric. We need something to express that something different is happening here than just an exchange of facts or statement of truth. What he's saying is, let the word of God come and dwell in you richly, and you're going to need to teach and admonish one another. You're going to need to speak it to one another. But listen, it is so all comprehensive. It will get a hold of you in such a way that, by the way, it's only going to fully come to find home in you if you sing. If you begin to express yourself in different and fuller ways, because it is not sufficient to just speak true statements about God. He is so stunning, so relational, so overwhelming, so loving, that it will demand another gear altogether. You see, we sing out to let the word of God start settling in. And it's not just this emotional, full, relational experience, but it's a communal undertaking. The second thing that has to be true is that this is a communal undertaking. It's true that windows down, music up, driving around, singing at the top of your lungs, that's a great experience. I encourage all of you to do it. That's good for the soul. That's not what this text is talking about. It's not talking about you on a personal journey with God or you expressing yourself in song. The text is very clearly communal. Let me show it to you. In verse 12, where he begins to address this chunk of this idea chunk, it starts in verse 12 and he says this, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. The group that's being addressed is the chosen ones, this whole community. And then in verse 16, when you read, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, We talked last week about how the you in the Greek is sometimes singular and sometimes plural, and you don't know unless you check. Here, it's plural. It's y'all. What he's saying is, 
Let the word of Christ dwell in y'all richly, in all of your hearts. And this is how you're going to teach and admonish one another, and you're going to sing out. It is a communal undertaking. Now, many of you know Arun Abraham. Arun helps lead worship around here. He's written several songs that we sing. One of my very favorite songs that we sing together as a community is called All Things Together. You guys know this song? All Things Together? Uh, I often get asked after service, like, why have I never heard this song before? It's amazing. I've been asked that several times over the years. And the reason is because we're the only ones that sing it. Because Arun wrote it out of our community. And I love singing this song because we were walking closely with Arun when he wrote the song. And it was born out of pain. Like a really hard journey. A really hard journey marked by physical pain and relational pain. Stuff that quite frankly would have done me in. And as he was meditating on Romans 8 and the fact that God in his sovereignty and his power and his goodness has equipped the believing community to stare into the hardest things in their life and say, even this in God's hands is going to work together for my good. As he was meditating on that, he couldn't help but writing a song about it. And over the years, I've been led by him consistently as he sings that song. And I sit on the front row and I sing out. Now, I sit usually kind of around where Brian is because I like to sit right in front of the speaker so that when I sing at the top of my lungs, I get drowned out by the sound of the speaker and nobody else has to hear it. So I've sat there for years. I sit in front of the speaker and I sing out. And I've realized that as a rune leads this song, all things together, and I look at him and I think about where it emerged out of his life. And then I've taken the words up on my own lips time and again in moments where, quite frankly, if I could have drawn it up, I would have said, not this. Like, I don't want to walk through this. I don't want to deal with this. But then in this moment, I watch Arun sing a song about God working everything together for good. And then I start joining in. And then I hear the words of people around me, people that I've had the great privilege of walking with knowing that they too have experienced sin and suffering and the pain that it brings. And a group of sinners and sufferers all together starting to say, led by this man singing this thing, all things work together for good. The most amazing thing has happened is consistently I have started that song and I don't believe it. And by the time I finish it, every fabric in my being is like, it's true. It's true because I hear a rune sing it and I've got my community around me singing it and as I join in, all of a sudden, the word of God, I could have stood up and just read Romans 8, but you see, I didn't just need to read it. I needed a communal expression of it so that it could come and settle in and begin to dwell richly in me. You follow? We have to sing out so that the word of God could settle in. And we do it communally. I need your voice, and you need my voice, that we might hospitably welcome the Word of God. See, we sing out, and we sing out communally, and not just that, but we sing out in a multifaceted way. Look back at verse 16 with me, the words of the verse itself. It says this, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It's as if Paul's saying, yeah, all those. What kind of songs do you like? Bring those on. We want to explore the space. We're going to sing in all the ways. One of the great sadnesses in the life of the church over 
the, the generations is that so frequently division erupts in the place of worship. It's been called worship wars. Because people have an experience of the presence of God in the way that they, in the way that they worship. And they begin to think, well, this must be the, the primary way or the only way. And other ways are not as good. You may have experienced this if you've been in the church for some time. Is that sometimes of, well, we only sing we only sing psalms because we know those were inspired by the Holy Spirit. They're better than all other songs. Or we, we like really polished, big performance because we think that's what captures our emotions and sweeps us up into it. And then someone else says, no, 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 it's gotta be simple and stripped down because that's very distracting. And someone else says, you know what? I think the inspiration of God was at work right up until the creation of the organ, but everything that came after the organ was less holy. <laughs> only organ music for us. Drums are of the dead, too much beat, and it's bad, right? We, and we, we can all kind of poke fun at one another, but the truth is we all have preferences. And it seems that what Paul is saying is this is about your preference. This is about bringing all of it to God. You like psalms? You like hymns? You like spiritual songs? The idea of spiritual songs seems to be like these fresh expressions of what the Holy Spirit is doing in a community. And he's going, yeah, all that, explore the space. Do your thing, like let's bring that. You got a cowbell, bring it along. Need some more cowbell, right? Like he's saying all of it. He said, explore what I've given you. Do, 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 mm, bring every expression to bear because I'm worthy of it, is what God is saying here. There's this interesting thing that if you just read the book of Revelation and you ask what kind of worship will there be in heaven? If you read Revelation 5 and 14, when the angels and people are getting together and having this worship at the throne of Jesus, they're singing a new song. A new song shows up all throughout the Bible, and in Revelation 5 and 14, there's this glorious expression. It's almost as if they're looking at Jesus and they're like, none of the old songs will do. We need something fresh and full. We've never experienced anything like this. Strike up the band. They sing a new song in five. They sing a new song in 14. And by the time you're done with 14, there's part of you that if you're just reading straight through, you're like, real glorious heavenly worship is just the new stuff. It's fresh and awesome. And then you turn to Revelation 15, and the angels are singing the song of Moses. Moses wrote it on the edge of the Red Sea after God conquered in 1250 BC. And it has been sung for thousands of years. It should encourage every songwriter in our midst that there are some songs that the angels in glory are gonna go, this is a good one. We need to sing that one that people have been singing for a long time. And you realize that heavenly worship is really old stuff that stood the test of time. It's fresh stuff that's an experience right now of what God is doing. And what we want to be as a worshiping community is the thought that says, we're not kind of pigeonholing or settling down into preference. We want to say, God, we want to bring you all that we've got. Old and new, fresh and full, you're worthy of it all. If your word is gonna settle down into us, it's going to be because we sing out. We sing out communally. We sing out in a multifaceted way. And finally, we sing out with gratitude in our hearts. I wanna show it to you in the text. He's, he's laboring to make a point that gratitude unleashes the self-conscious tongue. It, 
as he gets to this point of saying, you have to be a singing community if you're gonna experience all that I have for you. There's a certain sense in which, what's the motivation underneath the system that, that where we wanna hold back, we're a little bit awkward about the singing out piece. He's going, listen, underneath it, what's pulsing is gratitude that's unstoppable. In verse 16, he says it like this. He says, we do this with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And then if you just zoom out a little bit, the verse before and the verse after, he's also making the same point because it's emphatic. In verse 15, he says this, let the word of, or pardon me, he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which you are indeed called in one body and be thankful. Verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do you hear it? When he gets to the point of talking about worship and how crucial it is for us receiving the fullness of what God has for us, before, during, and after, he says gratitude, gratitude, gratitude. You will experience what it means to be a worshiping community that welcomes God's presence and power and word like a VIP guest when you're brimming over with gratitude. Some of you know that this summer my my oldest son got really inexplicably sick. Um, our youngest son had been in the hospital for a long time. He finally came home from the hospital, but the night before he got home from the hospital, Finn, my now 13-year-old, spiked a fever. And it lasted for 34 days. And we couldn't figure out why. And uh, it was scary. Yeah, it was really scary. Um, he's just a delight in our home. And we were looking at this child that had been laid low, couldn't get off the couch, was pale, losing weight. And, um, and as we got passed from our pediatrician to infectious disease, to oncology and hematology, which was a scary transition when they said, we, we're coming up empty, but some of the symptoms look like maybe something like leukemia, and we need to explore that. And there was like three or four days in the midst of that. We're on day 23, 24. He's got 103.5 fever laying on the couch. And uh, it was really scary. And I remember at one point, you, you looked at me and you said, am I dying? And it was like the great sadness of you want to relieve your son's stress and tell him, but you, also the unrest of like, I don't know. And uh, it was a really low moment. And beautifully, a week later, you know, around in the corner on 30 days, nobody could figure out what was going on. They ruled some scary things out, but they still had, you know, excellent doctors that were trying their best but couldn't tell us. And on day 34, the, the fever went away. And then it stayed away. And they said, well, he's well. <laughs> we're like, oh, okay. Um, and the, the most beautiful thing rolling into the fall is that we went from, like, are you gonna survive? To, here he is, this healthy whole seventh grade boy, loving, like, yeah, right? Like, and what's been really sweet is our prayer time at night, and we, we study the scriptures together on Friday mornings before school, and, and some of those conversations of our prayers have gone like, God, help us not to forget like life is a gift and we can't control it. I don't want us just to roll on like, well, everything's fine now, let's just, there's moments of going like, God, we didn't know what to do and he's, he's well. And, and that was a microcosm. I'm so thankful for this boy and his health, but listen, all of you, 
we in and of our own flesh are on death row, condemned and dead in our sin. And there's no fix, there's no managing it, there's no me being able to make everything okay. We were exposed and sinful, enemies of God because we had aligned ourselves against his holiness and perfection and there's nothing in and of ourselves we can do to make it okay. And listen, what he has come and done in the person and the work of Jesus is he's made a way for your homecoming, your healing, your wholeness. And in the same way that I don't want to just roll on and forget what we experience because I want my heart to stay in the place of fullness and gratitude, the invitation is this. We will become worshipers when we quit being forgetful. When we remember actively, God, you came for me. I was done. I was dead in the water. And you took on flesh and you died on the cross and spilled your blood to purchase me back, to win me to yourself. You see, gratitude unleashes the self-conscious tongue. When you realize, I was dead and I'm alive. I was in darkness following the prince of the power of the air, and now I live in the light and walk with King Jesus, and I will experience abundant life now and forevermore. The, action, the, the, the belief that I might draw back rather than explode in worship. You see, our gratitude unleashes the self-conscious tongue, and we go, I've got to sing. We of all people have reason to sing. And it's as you meditate on and experience that beauty. As we come every week, the highlight of our worship gathering is what we're about to do. As, as we come forward and take communion, what we're doing is we're committing one, and one to the other not to be a forgetful people. To have someone look you in the eye as you rip bread and they say, his body was broken for you. His blood was poured out for you. The idea is that every week we come back and we rehearse the story again and go, oh, heart within me, wily, forgetful heart, do not forget. You are alive and held together by the grace of God and you have reason to sing. The reason we don't just sing as like a, a warm-up for the sermon is because it's actually a response. We explode in worship coming out of the table because that's what worship is. It's unlocked by gratitude, an expression of what he's done. We sing out so that the word of God might settle in. Amen? Let me pray for us. Ah. Uh, God, thank you for what you've done. Thank you. You're faithful and good, and you fight for your people. Jesus, we thank you for a bloody cross and an empty tomb and the hope and the life that is ours forever. We bless you for that. I pray that we would not be a, a narrow, limited, intellectual people that miss the full relational experience of celebrating all that you've done. Make us worshipers. Unleash it in our hearts and in our community, God. Would you expand us and take us further than we've been before that we would know what it is to rightly celebrate our King. Jesus, we love you and we thank you. We pray that you would be glorified and delighted by, by, by what we offer to you. 
It's in your precious and powerful name that we pray. Amen.